enter of weakness and sinfulness. While we were yet sinners, you loved us. You sent forth your Son to die for us. If you have reconciled us by his cross, how much more will you maintain us in your love by his resurrection from the dead? Lord Jesus, we are mindful that you have died and rose again. Uh, That the same body that was nailed to the cross came back to life. That you ascended into heaven where you are right now interceding for us. We Thank you that you are a high priest who is empathetic. That you sympathize with us in our weakness. And yet you never sinned. Even while you are tempted in every way as we are. We draw on Your strength, O Lord. Purify us, sanctify us, transform us from one degree of glory to another. And in so doing, glorify Your Father in heaven. O God, Father, Son, and Spirit, we praise You and we worship You. Now speak through me. Bless this congregation for our upbuilding and maturity in the faith and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Please be seated. For three weeks now we have uh, been looking at God's rest. And uh, it's actually a very positive topic, right? To talk about God's rest. Attaining God's rest. Going into the eternal promised land where there's no more death, there's no more sadness, there's no more illness, there's no more sin, there's no more broken relationships. And so really the the overarching theme for the last month has been extremely positive. And we we all desire to attain God's rest, which, which comes when we die in these bodies and go in our spirits to heaven. And then we, we are in heaven for a time while we wait for resurrection from the dead and the bodies we put in the ground come back to life and our souls that are in heaven are rejoined to our bodies and, and our bodies aren't just raised back to life, but they're glorified. They're given the same substance and glory that the Lord Jesus Himself has uh, on the other side of His resurrection. That's so wonderful and so positive, except that the writer of Hebrews, while he's sharing this glorious truth, how what we have in Christ is so much better than what anyone had uh, in Moses, and yet he warns us very sternly that not everyone will attain this rest. And so, so we have this overarching positive message, three of them, that, that are punctuated quite severely with the warning that uh, without faith, though you might come to church, you may not attain the rest that we so desperately want. And the illustration was that just as many Israelites died in the wilderness, so there are many in the church, so-called Christians, who will die in the church and they will not enter into heaven. They will not be raised bodily from the dead unto eternal life. They will not enter into God's rest. So it takes a very positive message and it it underlines it with very stern but very loving pastoral warnings. Now this this is frightening. 
It ought to be frightening anyway. If anyone was able to leave over the last month and think, well, I'm fine without any sober reflection on am I fine? Am I right before God? Do I have faith? Is it saving faith? Am I counterfeit? Uh, Then you're the ones that should be afraid. But for those of us who left fearful, those of us who left wondering, will I make it? Is my sin too big? Is my righteousness too small? Is my faith too weak? If that was your experience, then today comes words of comfort. Comfort. You see, the writer of Hebrews is a pastor. Uh, Inspired by the Holy Spirit with the love of God, he is holding out for us a vision of God's rest and all of the glory therein. And then because of the love that He has, He warns. Warns us to be very careful not to take that rest for granted. But now He he brings this whole conversation about the rest of God to a culmination and His final words are words of comfort. Words of assurance. He does not want those who are saved in face of these stern warnings to fall into despair. He indeed wants us all to be of sober self-judgment. He he indeed wants us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to use Paul's words or to use Peter's words, to make our election sure. It's true. that, That is His intent. But in so doing, He wants us who, are, who have a real faith, a real saving faith to rest even now in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So that if in the last month you thought, well, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Do I have to work harder? Do I have to try more? Do I have to be a better person? Do, do I have to earn something? You know, Don't fall into that workspace gospel because at the end of it all, what the writer of Hebrews does to this passage or this section about rest as he says what we need to remember is that we have a high priest in heaven and he's done all the work there's nothing for us to do but believe i want to read these three verses again and uh and then we'll take a look at them with three points so these Verses are some of my favorite in the Bible, and they can be read on their own. Now, you can use them for all manner of circumstance and situation in your life, but let's just understand where they fall in the book of Hebrews. It's to bring uh, this portion of the book to a close and introduce the next section, which is about the high priesthood of Jesus. Since then, since then, reflecting back right on the conversation about God's rest and the warnings, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. It's Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. Let's not fall away in despair. Let's, let's not be too fearful. Let's be afraid to a point. Let's have sober self-reflection, but in spite of it all, let's hold fast to our confession to that which we believe. The, the gospel of our salvation, which we believed and came out of darkness into light. Let's hold fast to that. 
And let's remember that as part of that confession, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But Jesus, our high priest, He's one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. He gets it. He understands. He knows what it's like to be tempted. And yet, He was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Three points I want us to look at from these verses. The first point is that we have a high priest. Jesus, the Son of God, who is currently right now a living human being. Even while He is fully God. And He is in God's rest. We'll talk about that a little bit more. We have a high priest who is in God's rest. Point number two, our high priest, Jesus, sympathizes with us in our weakness. Point number three, because of these first two points, we are invited to approach the throne of grace boldly. Let's look at these three points in order. The first one, we have a great high priest who is in God's rest. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Uh, The first thing in order to understand and put this all into perspective is to remember what Jesus has done. We have a great high priest. Where is he? He's passed through the heavens. When did he pass through the heavens? He passed through the heavens after he finished the work that God sent him to do. On our behalf. You'll remember that Jesus carried our sins. He was loaded up with our sins. And He carried our sins up the hill outside of the city. And He was nailed to the cross. And we were nailed there with Him if we put our faith in Him. Quite a load. And what did Jesus say right before He yielded up His Spirit and said, into, my, into your hands, Oh, Father, I commit my Spirit. What did He say before that? He said, It is finished. It reminds me of day six of creation. God looked at everything that He had done. He said, it's good. It's very good. In other words, if you have like maybe the Amplified Bible, it's finished. Jesus in Revelation says, I'm making all things new. Well, how is He doing that? He, he does it by the blood of His cross. Which is such good news for us. It means that there's nothing left for us to do. It's finished. And this is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get us to do. Rest in the finished work of Christ. Don't add to it. You, you don't need to. You can't. And in fact, when you, when you try to add to the finished work of Jesus Christ, what you might not realize, but what you're doing is you're trying to steal back some of the glory from yourself. You see, if Adam and Eve could have said that they contributed in any way to, to the creation of the universe, they could have said, well, aren't I a glorious thing? But they couldn't. God did it all. And maybe there's a reason that He created humanity last. He had to get the work done before we could sin and throw it all into corruption. Uh, But the point is this, that whoever does the work gets the glory. So who gets the glory for our salvation? Is it you? Is it me? No. 
It's Jesus Christ. Why? He did the work. Therefore, the the foundational to to our gospel, that which we believe, is the finished work of Christ. The gospel is that we're striving, striving, striving to be right with one another, to be right with God or or the gods or the idols or whatever it is that we're worshiping. We're trying to make ourselves righteous in, in, in some way. And the Gospels, you can't. And the Gospel, when you are saved, when the Holy Spirit puts you into Christ and you're, you're born again, the very first thing that you have to affirm is, I can't give anything toward my salvation. I, I have got nothing. And it's so liberating. The truth will set you free when you realize that. and You say, oh, Jesus, take my sin and do it all. And so the very first step you took as a Christian was a step into God's rest. What the writer of Hebrews says, let's hold fast to that confession. Let's remember that. Let's let's not down the road begin to add something that we cannot add. After he finished the work, he passed through the heavens. And this is really a a reference to the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. So so we get a little bit of of geography here, some address change for Jesus. He was an earthling, but he was resurrected. And then he ascended. He passed through the heavens into, and his address now is holy, holy, holy. That's his address. Holy, holy, holy. The best you can do on earth is holy, holy. That's in the the most holy place. Well, we have a high priest that doesn't walk into the holy, holy place. He's in holy, holy, holy with the three times holy God. Therefore, He is there. And where He goes, we shall also follow. So the rest begins, hold fasting to our, hold, holding fast to our confession, is to rest in the finished work of Christ with the hope of joining Him in holy, holy, holy. That's where the rest is consummated. And so the writer of Hebrews says, let's just remember who is on our side. What He has done and where He is. Because He has done it for us and He's going to invite us to be where He is. Oh, it's a beautiful truth. It's the only, we're the only faith, philosophy, religion, or worldview that has this kind of assurance, this kind of confidence, this kind of confession. Let's hold fast to it. The second thing that we learn from these verses is that our high priest sympathizes with our weakness. And this is an astonishing thing. Just look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. It is without sin. This is astonishing because you might think, you know, if Jesus was a sinner, and He wasn't, last three words, yet without sin. But if He was a sinner... He, he would look on us, on us with contempt, wouldn't he? I did it. What's, what's the problem with all of you? I was tempted like you are. I didn't sin. What's your problem? That's not the high priest we have. He, he's empathetic. That's why I, I hate to say it this way. You never want to say, I need. I need you to understand. My heart cries out for you to understand that there is no temptation that Jesus doesn't understand. He doesn't. There's no, there's no temptation where Jesus says, that's strange. I don't know what that's like. 
Where are your weaknesses? What is your temptations? Jesus has been there. You might think, well, how could Jesus have had this temptation? He has. In fact, just imagine this. If you are are Satan, if you are the enemy of our souls, you want to be seated on the throne of God. Now, God takes on human flesh, and you know that the mission, and Satan may not have understood all of the mission, but, but for what he could understand, he knows if he can get the holy God of the universe to sin, it's all over. Do you think that Satan is going to send some two-bit demon to tempt Jesus like he does with you and me? I mean, we should not think too highly of ourselves. I, very, I doubt very much that any of us has been tempted by Satan himself. Satan saves himself for presidents and kings and prime ministers and the movers and shakers in the world. Well, there is no greater mover and shaker than Jesus Himself in human form. And so for the, the duration of Jesus' life, not just 40 days in the wilderness, but you've got to believe, I know that Satan fled from, from Jesus, but that was at a particular moment in time after the 40 days. But you have to imagine that Satan kept the pressure hot. Jesus was under great pressure his entire life to sin. And all manner of temptation would have been thrown at him. And so he understands it. And he was without sin. And yet he is not a sinner. So he doesn't look on us with contempt and say, pick yourselves up, do better. He knows that he is here to save us from our weakness. We're totally depraved sinners. Rebels. So, so what if we're not good enough for God? We aren't. Jesus knew that before He came. Though Jesus never sinned, He knows the struggles that we have. He's acquainted with our grief. He knows what it means to be tempted in every way. He carried our sin. If He wasn't tempted in His life before the cross, the load that He carried to, to the cross was our sin. He's intimately aware of our sin. He bled and died for our sin. Our sin was nailed to His cross. Peter says that our sin was placed in His body. I don't really know what that means. Except that there is a closeness. An intimacy. uh, A sharing in without ever tainting the very person of Jesus and making Him into a sinner. He has tasted our sin. We do not have a high priest who is indifferent to our weaknesses. He cares for us. He loves us. While we are still sinners. Which means, and this, this separates us from every other religion, I think of especially Islam, We do not have an angry God who hates us. We're not infidels. In fact, God loved us even while we were sinners that He, before the foundation of the world, knowing what we would do, found a way to reconcile us to Himself. And He did it through the bloody sacrifice of our High Priest, His Son. 
And reconciliation is not just forgiveness from sins, and I hate to say it that way even, not just forgiveness from sins. It is forgiveness from our sins. More than that though, you take everything that the Father has eternally given to the Son. Everything. That's a lot. That's everything that the Father has to give. That's the inheritance that belongs to Jesus alone. And by coming to die for our sins and to become our great high priest, you know what Jesus does? He says, I want to share the inheritance that belongs to me alone. And I want to share it with you. I want you to become my brothers. I want you to become children of God. I want to adopt you into my family. I want the third person of God, the Holy Spirit, to dwell in you. I want to raise you from the dead. I want you to be partakers of the divine nature. I want you to have full dominion over everything, always, forever and ever. Come, enter into eternal life, and and I want you to experience the relationship of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, in a way that not even the holy angels have ever or will ever experience. I want that for you, O sinner. Enter into God's rest. We do not have a high priest who is indifferent to our weaknesses. He has been tempted. He's without sin and He wants to make us glorious along with Him. Oh, how God loves us. Which brings us to the third point. We are invited to approach the throne of grace boldly. I hope that we can recognize just what this invitation is all about. Because sinners who are not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ cannot approach the throne of God boldly. In fact, to do so would, would mean certain death, certain destruction, and not just of the body, but of your eternal existence be careful what i mean by that eternal not eternal past but looking forward it it, it would be the destruction of you forever looking into the future i do not believe in the eternity of the soul god alone is eternal into the past but what it means is we cannot approach a holy god he dwells in unapproachable light and we're told, and the whole Old Testament is about limiting access to God and don't approach God too, too casually or you will die. And you look about the throne of grace is in holy, holy, holy. Now we have holy, holy on earth in the tabernacle or the temple later on. If you just dance into the holy place, you'll die. If you go boldly into the holy of holies, you will die. And here the writer of Hebrews says, oh, I want you to approach the throne of grace that is in holy, 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 boldly. How is that possible? Look at verse 16. Let us then, now that's important, let us then, therefore, in light of what I've said in point one and two, and you have to have point one and two, you have to hold fast to the confession of the gospel. Jesus has done all the work. Your sin is paid for. Then you have to remember that Jesus loves us and He's interceding for us. Then, if you are if you are in Christ, if you are already enjoying the first uh, fruits, the the foretaste of His rest, then and only then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help 
in the time of our need. Unsaved people, when they approach the throne of God, they will be cast into hell. That's Revelation 20. It's a fearful thing to approach the throne of God. But we approach the throne of grace. That's intentional because it's the throne of God. But we approach the throne of God wrapped in grace. And the grace that we need is issued forth from the throne. This is a good reminder that God is not looking for perfect people. In fact, Jesus didn't come to save the righteous, but the unrighteous. There's a little tongue-in-cheek. The Pharisees thought they were righteous, but they weren't. Anyone who thinks they're righteous, uh, when they approach the throne of God, they will be banished from Him. God does not expect us to be without sin. God does not expect us to be without weakness. God does not expect us to have it all together. And any church that expects any member to be perfect and sinless is not a church worth belonging to. Because God is looking for humble people who are aware of their need for grace. And when we are aware of our need for grace, then we will find it. We will find the mercy we need. We will find the grace that will sustain us. You see, God is inviting to the throne of grace those who are poor in spirit. Those who say, I have nothing to give. I'm just a sinner. I I can't approach the throne. Those are the very people that God looks to and says, come closer. those people who will be given the kingdom of heaven. God is looking for those who mourn, those who are grief-stricken over their sin because they will be comforted. God will go to them and say, I know that you are grieving over your sinfulness. Come, let me comfort you and let me make you well. God is is looking for the meek, those who don't look to uh, assert themselves over and above other people but want to fall under God first and foremost, but then fall under others to to live their life for the benefit of others and the glory of God. And it's the meek that will inherit the earth. The strong who want to have the earth, the earth will be taken away from them. It is those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not just righteousness in the world, but righteousness inside. I'm hungry and I'm thirsty to be a righteous man because I know that I'm a sinner. The promise is that I will be satisfied and you will be too if you hunger and thirst for righteousness in yourself. And what is that satisfaction? Righteousness. Christ's righteousness given. God is looking for the merciful, not those who say, well, I I was able. Why aren't you able? I don't struggle with that sin. Why do you struggle with that sin? God's not looking for people like that. Jesus Himself could do that and then we'd all be lost. He's looking for for those like Christ are merciful to say, oh, you who are weary and heavy laden, come, let me me extend to you the grace and the mercy of of God in heaven. Let me walk with you. Not not giving permission to sin, but but mercy for the, the contrite in heart and the repentant. It's the pure in heart that God is looking for. Those who with all their heart want to be with God. And, and God says that you will see me. 
you will see me. If your greatest desire, and I I believe this is what it means to be pure in heart, because none of us can be fully pure in heart. We're always divided. We always struggle with our flesh. But at our core, in our heart, the regenerated center of our soul longs to be with Christ. And if that's true of you, you will see God. God is looking for the peacemakers. Those who grieve over broken marriages and broken families and broken churches and broken communities and broken countries. Peacemakers. Not not people who call others to unity for unity's sake, but those who bring the truth of the Gospel to bring healing and peace where there's discord and disharmony. Peacemakers will be called sons of God and we have a ministry of reconciliation to go out with the Gospel into to the lives of hurting men and women and families and communities and nations to bring the peace of God. He's looking for those who are persecuted. Those who say, no matter what happens, I am Christ's. I belong to Him. No matter what. And those people will be given the kingdom they will enter into God's rest. It's humble people. People who hold fast to the confession of the Gospel, who look to the finished work of Christ, who trust in the effective ministry of Jesus, our ascended High Priest. And when we do, we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us in our time of need. It is a serious thing to enter God's rest. Not all will make it. There are many in the church that will fall in the wilderness and when they come to the Lord Jesus Christ, He will say, depart from Me for I never knew you. But if we humble ourselves, if we remember the Gospel, if we put all of our confidence in Christ and no confidence in ourselves, if we look to God our Maker and we say we are nothing but clay pots, fill us with the Gospel, leaky though we may be, then we will find grace and He will bring us safely home. He will open the gates of heaven. He will raise our bodies from the dead. He will give us the inheritance that belongs rightly to Christ and we will reign with Him over every age that is to come. Oh, the kindness and the severity of God our Father. Severity to those who have fallen. Severity to those who reject Christ. Severity to those who have put their faith in a counterfeit Gospel. But unspeakable kindness to us who reach out to Christ and believe. We will enter the throne room of God. And we will not see a throne of judgment, but we will see a throne of grace. Indeed, as the Apostle John has written when he is trying to summarize what he saw in Jesus Christ, grace upon grace has been lavished upon us. Throw yourselves on the grace of God, on God and no other, not even yourself, 
enjoy his rest now. Long for the rest that is still to come. You will be a child of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for this church that every one of us would enter into Your rest. Lord, if there's any here who do not yet believe or who think they believe, but You know that they do not, open their eyes. Be merciful with them. Give them a share in the inheritance of Jesus Christ. I pray this. In the name of our great ascended high priest who is currently in your rest. Jesus. Amen.